0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to spend time with you all in this way. It's uh, unusual times, but you know we've had some fantastic teaching, haven't we? Uh, from over this period where we've been doing things online, hearing from not only Dave but from lots of other people uh, in our church, and and hearing the wisdom and the diversity of of things that have just come to us and it's been a great time of teaching there's been some fantastic teaching that's been given to us and uh, you can't go past some of the the wonderful wisdom that's been been given to us over this time now when dave uh, preached last week he, he as he said he preached on romans 14 and it was Uh, trying to get to grips about an issue of course and that was about the food as Dave mentioned and uh, it was you know something that was sort of breaking the church apart what should we eat what should we eat and all that sort of stuff and and uh, there was a, a worry that you know there was this almost a fear that that would divide the church and uh but Paul wanted to say, you've got to come together over this. You've got to gotta to stop being in conflict over these things that really don't matter that much. He said, Don't put stumbling blocks in in the way of each other, uh, because you want to argue about minor things. Let's let's focus on those things that are more important and uh he goes on to, to look at saying, look, it's, it's not about what is good for you. It's about what's good for others. And he wants to emphasise that because he's really positive. Just to remind you what he said in, in 1419, he said, so then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. You see, he was he was concerned that we were dividing, or they were dividing, over something that shouldn't have divided them. Now that's the context in which I'm going to look at at Romans 15. Uh, Dave said to me, Can you unpack Romans 15? Well, I'd be here for hours if I was trying to unpack all of Romans 15. So I'm just going to to concentrate on a few of the first parts of that about up to verse 13 and uh so as we focus on say romans 15 and just verses 1 to 13 uh we've got to remember that what the rest of the chapter was about was was uh paul was saying to them well you you guys at rome rome you you I know you've got your differences, but you're going okay. There's, there's no. I'm really happy with your progress and in the faith, and things are looking pretty good there. So he's not really going crook up there and saying, "Oh, you shouldn't be doing this," because he seems to understand that, you know, you've got a, a difficult thing happening here. You've got two lots of cultures coming together. You've got the Jewish culture, and you've got the culture of Roman people and they're coming together in in what they should eat and how do we deal with that and seeing, he's trying to say, well, it's not that important. And uh, he goes on to, to say to them later in that chapter that, look, I haven't been to Rome yet, but, oh, I'm so anxious to get there. I want to see you guys. I want to really uh, communicate more of some of the things that God's been laying on the heart and then he said I want to go off to Spain as well so he had real big ideas he he never gets to Spain that we know of some people think he did but uh, he doesn't actually get there uh, uh, because we we know that he finds his end in Rome but nevertheless he ends up in Rome in a different way that he thought uh in, in a prison but i would would like you if you you got your bibles with you to, to have a look at uh romans uh chapter 15 and we'll just look at the first verses uh i'm going to read to you from uh the uh passion translation and uh i will just read a few of those verses now and he says this now those who are mature in their faith can easily be recognised, for they don't live to please themselves, but have learned to patiently embrace others in their maturity immaturity. Our goal must be to empower others to do what is right and good for them and to bring them to spiritual maturity for not even the most powerful one of all the anointed one lived to please himself his life fulfilled the scripture his life fulfilled the scripture I'm talking about jesus not even jesus lived to to please himself he lived to please others he lived to to help others he was a servant He has, he was the the servant king. As I read this, I I want to share with you a little bit of um, my own history. And I'm really talking history because I want to go back to 1964. I was a young boy of nine years of age and uh, at school. And we had the athletics carnival coming up and, uh, I remember standing in the assembly, and and the old teacher there. Now, when I think about it, he was probably coming from uh, having served in the Second World War. This is, you know, nearly twenty years after the Second World War had finished, and and he would have been the the deputy principal, and uh, he he'd been teaching for a long time, and he probably served as a as a soldier, and. Well, he said he, he wanted to get us together. He said, you know, we all have our athletes amongst us, and there's all those ones that are good at this and good at that, and the the sprinters and the long runners and all those sorts of things. He said, I want to get you all together. So he got us all together, all right. He said, You're gonna march. Now you can imagine a soldier would probably think that marching is a good thing. But when you got kids trying to get together and march and try to march together and each the house groups got together we had our houses i was in blue gum and there was baronia and there was uh waratara and and wattle they were the houses and and we would get and we would march around and around the oval day in day out it felt like it to me and uh and we'd have the the teachers walking alongside us and say, get into step, you know, get into step. And I'd be doing these crazy little shuffles trying to get into step. And, well, you know, I wasn't that good. But at least we were doing it together. And there were the, the ones that were great amongst us that were great runners, but they had to do it just as much as those who didn't. I suppose the guy that thought up the idea for us to march, was uh, working from his military background, and uh, it, but it was important. He said, the one thing you've got to remember, marching requires unity. Yes, unity. What did that mean to a, a nine-year-old? I, thought, I mean, I suppose we've got to get together. We've got to get in step. And uh, as we as we look at that, it's a bit like... It's a bit like being in a choir too, I suppose. I love what the the message, the way the message puts it. Let me just read to you what it says from there. It says, uh, may our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity so, so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us. Then we'll be a choir not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in stunning anthem to God, the Father, and our Master Jesus. Ah, stunning anthem, a choir. That's what we are, which brings to my mind something too that that I was also in. I, I was in a few choirs as a, as a kid. I, I remember singing uh, uh, in, the, in, in Sydney, at the town hall there. And, and I was up the back of the choir, standing near big organ pipes. And, and as I sang, I, I uh, thought, we've got to sing together. And we've got to sing our right parts. And you'd look at the conductor very strongly and make sure that you were doing what you had to do. But there was another time that I was also in a, in a sort of a choir, it, it was a musical. Uh, by this time I'd become a Christian and uh, it was the mid 70s uh, and it was called, I'm here, God's here, now we can start. And uh, we had to be coordinated in our movements and we had to sing in harmony while some, some sang the melody. Well, i got to tell you, I was finding that really hard because for me, singing in harmony was like singing out of tune. It was the wrong tune. And yet I had to sing a different tune to what the melody was, was going on with. And I would get confused. And, and the worst thing was I was standing up the back with another guy who, well, he wasn't such a good singer, and he would sing so badly that i have to stick my finger up to my head like that so that i couldn't hear him sing otherwise i would go completely off track you see we're in a church it's like being in a in a choir or in a, a musical or or a march that that needs us to be together and paul wants to point out that it's quite a beautiful privilege for us to be in this wonderful, unique group, singing the praises of God, singing to our hearts and, and singing in each of our different ways. But we need to do it in unity and in harmony. Paul says, you've got to shuffle. you got to do that special shuffle to get yourself in step. And he says there's two basic things that you've got to do to get into that stepping mode. It, it's it's to really put others first instead of yourself. You're worried about the group when you're getting yourself into step. You're not worried about yourself so much. You've got to do the getting into step, but you want the whole group to look really good so that you win that carnival that you're going in and marching in the second thing he wants us to do is to praise God in unity and harmony we need to get and know that we've all got a different part to sing as we praise our Lord so it's interesting as as Paul in in chapter 15 he starts to to move away from using the term brothers and sisters to the term neighbor. And I think that's because he was realizing that there were two different cultures sort of coming and clashing a bit. Uh, The Jewish part of the the church and the Gentile part of the church or the the non-Jewish people. And uh, he was trying to bring together that we've got a, a broader love that we have to understand the differences that each other may have it's a countercultural I- idea that uh, dave has been talking about to us over the last few years that we are called to be countercultural it wasn't the culture of the time to try and get together and understand someone from a different group but it was hard particularly for the jewish people because they thought no you've got to do it our way but the uh the non-jewish people said oh do we have to and so there was these these issues and uh paul basically says well they're our neighbors we've got to do good to our neighbors we've got to to not give our neighbors comfortable things and make them happy at our expense but what we have to do is give them the goodness of god and that goodness of God is, as, as Paul puts it, according to his purposes. We we come together uh, and, and in, even endure all sorts of things, even suffering together. And how does that happen? Well, if you look at verse 7, and I'll read from the NIV here, uh, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring Praise to God. And then if you move on to verse 13, you'll see, may the God of hope fill you with all joy so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. You see, Jesus is our leader. He's the one that's leading our, our marching group. Getting us into step he is the one who is the conductor of our choir he keeps directing here there you sing now you sing now you sing your way you sing this way but he does it so that the sound that comes out is a beautiful one that that it is great joy that we have he's letting us know jesus when we've got to shuffle and when we don't. He's letting us know when we are got to sing and when we don't. He's letting us know when we come in and when we don't. So what does Jesus do to make this all happen? There's one thing that comes to my mind that Paul is trying to express in this, this chapter, in 15, and it comes out particularly well in, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, and this showed up, shows us the fundamental foundation, what I would call the glue that holds the differences together in unity. And it's this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You see, it's the perfect love the perfect love that drives out fear. But what does it leave? What does perfect love leave? It drives fear away. But what does perfect love leave? It leaves us with a soil, a ground, an earth in which our faith can grow, in which our hope is nurtured, in which our unity sprouts that's perfect love i know we're not perfect me <laughs> more much as anybody else we know that but the perfect love of god in jesus holds us together jesus keeps us in step because he loves us more than we can ever know or understand you see nothing impossible for God even to bring diverse points of view together he wants us to live in unity even in the face of our differences and how does he do that well Paul points in Romans 15 verse 5 that we must become like Jesus he says May God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that we are one in heart and mouth. You may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, at times we do worry at times we can lose sight of his love and therefore lose sight of our unity. But God is faithful. He wants us to come together. He wants us to to have our spirits flooded with his love and to make that fear flee and go away. You see, God cares about our minds. He cares so much for us. He, he, he loves us so much. He wants us to become lovers of others, though. And Philippians 4.8 shows us what that focus is, that focus of love, that focus of love, not just on our brothers and sisters, not just on our neighbours, not even on ourselves, but even on our enemies, because that's what Jesus said, to love your enemies as well. So finally, brothers, this is what it says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. What have you been thinking about lately, eh? Have you been filling your mind with good stuff? Yeah. Look, it's important to be informed, isn't it? But don't don't overload on the negatives. We can't do that because God wants us to play our part as the instruments of peace to the world that we live in Instruments of peace to those that we come into contact with. But sometimes things might go beyond you. Sometimes things might be difficult. Sometimes our minds can get even out of control. Our minds start running rampant with, with fear-filled thoughts and what-ifs. But Philippians 4.8 eight makes us focus on these things. It tells us, let your mind think about what is true. Are your thoughts about truth or about lies? Are your thoughts about being noble and kind, right and accurate about what you're thinking about, lovely and beautiful about what you think? Pure, good, and honest, admirable, and helping others in an admirable way, excellent, and and leading you to live a more excellent life and worthy of praise. Because when we praise God, we focus on Him. And when we're focused on Him, then our lives are balanced. Can we shuffle? Can we shuffle our thoughts and, and make them come to these wonderful high standards? Well, some of the time, probably not. But God's perfect love covers you so that we can work together in the body of Christ. Let's bring that good news. To others that's what we're called to do it's what we're called to do bring good news in a world that's full of bad news and may the rest of the world know that we are Christians by our love there's an old song that we used to sing at church many years ago and it begins with these words and I leave you with these words to To contemplate we are one in the spirit we are one in the Lord we are one in the spirit we are one in the Lord and we pray that all unity may one by day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians our love amen and God bless you and may that be the prayer that you pray today that they will know we are Christians by our love and remember that love brings us into a place of unity